Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey everyone, welcome to another great episode of CISO Talk. I'm so excited. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If this is your first time listening, you're about to tune into the No Sales Zone, a great conversation between two chief information security officers on everything from leadership to security to how we got our careers started in this industry. So in just a few moments, we'll kick off this episode, but I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you to go check out the Cyber Hub podcast where I do a daily piece of content. So if you're listening, you might want to go and look it up on your favorite podcast listening platform, Cyber Hub podcast. Every day I post a 10 to 15 minute podcast on the latest risk, impact, and mitigation. If you're watching us on YouTube or your favorite video platform, please make sure to check out the Practitioner Brief playlist. There you'll find the daily show and tune in daily Monday through Thursday, 9 a.m. Eastern, live on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And now without further ado, let's kick off today's episode. Here we go, folks. It's Sissel Talk time. From the Cyber Hub Bunker in studio, you're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Mike Felker. The VP of Information Security, aka CISO, over at the Leaf Group. Welcome to the show, good sir. Hey, James. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, we've had a, a lot of amazing people, so humbled to join you today. I'm humbled to have you here. I'm very excited for this episode. It's going to be a great one. Um, so, as I said, um, Michael, you're the VP of Information Security over at Leaf Group. That's essentially a CISO equivalent. Would that be correct? Almost, more or less. Um, maybe that's a different discussion, but we can move on to other questions. <laughs> <laughs> Deflection is always my favorite thing. So let's let's start off with a little background for our uh, listeners and viewers. How'd you get started in security? What was that journey like for you? When did you know that you wanted to be in cybersecurity? Yeah, this this is actually a, a fairly common question that you get in interacting with our industry at all uh, in general. But for me, it's actually a point in... Uh, in very, very early college years, um, I was reading the LA Times. And I think it was free at that time, and we still had newspapers. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so, so anyways, I'm, I'm flipping through the pages and I get to this one article about the 16 year old kid um, that is helping the CIA in something cybersecurity. And I didn't know what cybersecurity was at that time, but um, I, I wanted, I was interested. I wanted to learn, learn more. Most of the areas were focused towards like software engineering, not information security, not information systems. This is maybe 20, 25 years ago. Um, and then from there, this is my maybe freshman year uh, of college. Then I really started to kind of dig into what is cybersecurity? What is the past of cybersecurity? What are the career options of cybersecurity? How do I get into it? And it, it really started to kind of open my mind from that one news article. That's where I can pinpoint it to. When you, when you look at that newspaper article, you kind of read that. What was the steps you took thereafter in order to make manifest the fact that you want to be in security? What'd you do thereafter? Yeah, so I was um, I was enrolled in already a computer science program. So I would say I was pretty close. Uh, but a lot of the times the, the, the material, the content is not security focused. There wasn't anything that was a security class that I took in my undergrad. There was just technology. So there would be like databases, but not how do you secure databases. There would be operating systems, but not how do you secure operating systems, et cetera, et cetera, algorithms uh, and so forth. So um, I kind of went on my own hunt. You know, we still had um, you know, Amazon started in 2001. So I was using Amazon and found found the right books that uh, <laughs> uh, I, I want to see there. And I really started, I loved, um, I loved the books by uh, Stephen Northcutt. Um, he had a, a, a lot of amazing publications. And I, I just started to get kind of go and look at the back of the uh, uh, references for each book. It says, what are other references? What are these people citing? Uh, I started to really pull a lot of books on incident response on, you know, packet sniffing on tools and so forth, and just started getting an arsenal library of what are people what's out there? This was 20 plus years ago, on security literature. Um, and open source projects. And then from there, I, I found I found an avenue to get some experience. I was doing IT support at the time. So I was doing some technology. I had some hands-on experience and so forth. Um, everybody has to have a, uh, you know, earn their stripes at the help desk and you know, get yelled at and all that. <laughs> uh, but, but later on, I think where I really got going is I applied for many internships and I got one at uh, Sandia National Labs. They're running a really large program called Center for Cyber Defenders. And um, I got to choose, they had various options for projects and I got to choose kind of a project I'm working on and several other things. And I, I moved, I'm a, I'm a SoCal boy. So I moved to Livermore, California and um, lived with some roommates that were also working for Sandia National Labs. Um, and I met, that's kind of where the next step of my career took place in, in this giant bungalow, there were 20 plus people, either, you know, students trying to finish their bachelors or people that were between years in their graduate program, their masters. And a lot of the people that I spoke to, uh, they were enrolled in this program, this government program, which is amazing, called uh, Scholarship for Service, uh, run by the National Science Foundation, sponsored by Office of Personnel Management. And essentially what this program was, and these students were doing it was the government would um, supporting some universities, you would have to get admitted to that university, then you would have to further get admitted to this program, which is essentially a scholarship and stipend program. And then if you got in, 
they would you know fund your education and then your commitment was to work for the government the same amount of years that the government paid for your education so kind of like the civil equivalent of the military gi bill concept uh these people were doing really well they went to carnegie mellon and my next step was i want to be like them and then after i came back from um that internship i kind of did what i needed to do academically and kind of got by house in order to apply to that graduate program, which kind of was the next leg in my um, cyber career. That's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about leadership, right? So um, one thing I got to tell you, man, I'm inspired by your self-learner, self-starter journey of just reading books and going after the knowledge uh, when it, when when very little of it existed in order to spark a career. Um you know, we're going to talk about leadership in just a moment. I have a feeling I already know the answer. But when you're kind of looking, you're, you're establishing a team and you're building a team, you're looking to hire people. What skills and qualities do you look for um, in the people you're hiring? What are some of the intangibles, the stuff that maybe, you know, isn't really in the job description, but really stands out for you? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. And the answer has changed over time as I kind of grow and learn and mature and have self-awareness that actually, you know, if you ask me five years from now, I might give you a different answer. But <laughs> my, my, my answer today is I really, security is kind of in the crux, it's kind of in everybody's business, so to speak. It's in a lot of fires, it's in, it's getting more importance. And part of what I look for is really good communication skills. Um, and that's both verbal and, um, and written. So like, I need to be able to have somebody on my team that can explain complex ideas to other people. So they need to be really good at communicating about, you know, severity of issues, or is this, you know, com complex topics, simple, you know, dumbed down a little bit or presented it with analogies maybe. Um, and there can't be a really big language barrier that exists between you and the person because that some of these might be super technical people on the other end, some of these might be executives. So really strong communication skills. And we're dealing with you know deeply with a lot of different topics, cloud security, application security, data security. So th there's a lot of breadth to this uh, domain. So that's one, really good communication. And written also because sometimes what you write is really important. Writing something in a way that maybe is clear, maybe is actionable, maybe is um, you know concise enough that a busy person would uh, read it. Uh, you know, they're, they're, you know they're, we're all busy. And for example, if you write seven paragraphs in an email, no one's going to read it. If you write a an email or something that is uh, inflammatory, people are just going to you know work it up. So that's one area, um, communication skills. Another one is is very hard to. This is definitely not listed on any resume and it's very hard to kind of prune, call out, uh, evaluate interpersonal skills. So you put somebody in a room, are they, you know, do, do people want to hug them? Do they want to throw them out the window? Like, how is this person interacting with other people? That's a personal element that is very hard to judge from a resume because on the resume you have like places that you work and skills. Um, and interpersonal skills, like how you're going to act with somebody else is definitely not there. Um, and part of this in all the job descriptions I try to write for, I write the word tactical or tact, because a lot of things that we have to do is deliver difficult messages. Like, you know, something really bad happened, dear business unit owner, we need to have a conversation like right now, something really bad happened, um, you know, drop whatever you're doing, let's have a discussion. Um, or, 
you know, communicating to, it could be communicating to senior people internally, tactfully, it could be regulators, it could be, you know, lawyers, there's a lot of things that handle and you can't be uh, naive and, and, and blunt sometimes you have to kind of, you know, you have to deliver the right message in, in the right way. And I know in my career, I have messed that up a lot, a lot. I have probably many, many anecdotal examples I would share with you over beer, but not over this medium uh, <laughs> that, that I, I, I will tell you, I have gotten this wrong many times. And it's not something that you can just read a book and get it right. It takes years of experience. So uh, that's one. And then kind of the obvious ones where I need somebody to have the technical chops. So they're not steamrolled. They're, they're competent enough in the disciplines, whether it is, you know, all, all of the stacks, uh, whether it's application security or network security or data security or other levels, cloud security, they are competent enough that they can face off with whoever they're working with, that they can dig dive into um, the topics that they need to, to, to get their work done. Because if they don't have that, they don't have the foundation and they won't be successful. Yeah. Two, two great skills, by the way, interpersonal skills, I think is, you know, those soft skills are highly underrated and you're right. They are very difficult to they're not very difficult to find out in an interview because I think people always put on a specific facade for an interview. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's, it's difficult to find out in an interview just how real those interpersonal skills are over a period of time. Like how do they really translate? Um, yeah. Um, it, it's kind of like test driving a sports car. Yeah. <laughs> Is it going to perform the same way over time? Yeah, and you don't know what until you work with people. You don't know what their triggers are or their stressors right. are, or how when when the fuse is going to blow. Like you, you learn that after you know when your relatives you've been with them long enough. You know when like Uncle Fred or whatever is going to just like run his mouth off in in, yeah. in a certain setting. But um, you, you need to interact with people to know what their buttons are. You're like Uncle Fred needs to leave Thanksgiving dinner by five thirty. Anytime after five thirty, Uncle Fred gets crazy. Um, <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about security leaders themselves, right? There's a set of skills. You know, we, we talk about security, but security leadership requires a specific set of skills. What do you think those skills are that are critical for security leaders? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, so I think part of it, and I'll, I'll replay what, what, you know, I, I think is happening. One is you need to have a broad based knowledge of everything that's going on with in the minds of leaders, like the, the what's going on in the mind of the CFO, what's going on in the mind of the CEO, what's going on in the mind of general counsel of like business unit heads. Um, and a lot of what's happening there is uh, what's happening in the business world itself. Um, uh, part of that is understanding financials. Um, that's, that's the part of it. You know, where is the business? Is it a growing business? Is it, is it, you know, stalling? Is it on the downward trend? You need to understand what the business trajectory is to understand what the appetite for security and the messages that you're going to deliver are. Uh, for example, if some company just got a really big round of investment and they're hiring and investing a lot of money, then, you know, that would be one area. Um, if a company is like bleeding money and the products are not doing well in the market, that might be kind of a different message that, that your area. So understanding um, basically what's happening with the business side. Um, also understanding what are the core compliance requirements. So you may be a public company, a private company in a certain industry. 
uh, in certain geographies. There's a lot of regulatory requirements, and you can use those to um, either meet those requirements, whether they're you know data security or data privacy or other, um, and 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 gain the confidence of uh, those those people around you that you you have broad based knowledge and you're on top of. Uh, anything dealing with regulatory compliance. For example, a big one in California was CCPA. So if you weren't having a discussion of CCPA, you probably should be thrown out of whatever room that you were in. Uh, <laughs> uh, another one, uh, so we talked about financial knowledge, we talked about um, regulatory compliance. Uh, I think that uh, you need to understand what what business you're in and how it works and have a really good knowledge of that. And you do that through experience. Like you, when you interact with people, it's not like you're some green person on the outside. It's like you really know the business that you're in. For example, um, when I used to, I worked at UCLA Health and I didn't know anything when I started there. I didn't know anything about the healthcare industry. Um, so what I did is I actually went and took a class that nurses took on how to use uh, the computer systems to put in orders into the computer. So I learned how nurses work day to day on the computer. And that gave me, when I would go in to some meeting, I could say, oh, they use this system to help this patient in this way. And that gave me credibility. Like I know the business I'm in, I've worked with these people shoulder and shoulder. Um, and similar to other industries where, and uh, one time when I was working at, for example, uh, the Honest Company, uh, one of the first things to give them credit that they did is they made you sit next to a customer service person and hear what customers are saying every day, what questions they have, what concerns they have, and you're touching the customer on the first day. Well, you're not really touching them. You're hearing the customer. <laughs> I hope you're not touching the customer. You're metaphorically touching the customer, but in reality, hearing what the customer has to say, what their issues are, how you can resolve it using that system and platform to feed into better solutions. And so with all of that, you know, understanding really what business you're in and security makes changes to affect the entire environment. And so if you're part of that environment and you know what's really happening, you know the change that you're going to advocate and you really know maybe what net impact is gonna result rather than some of the ivory tower conversations that we have with other people, you're just like throwing information security policies from one room to another and expecting them to be implemented in some kind of magical pixie dust world. And I think having that experience of being in the shoes of a lot of people that perform operational roles gives you a lot of credibility. So back to your original question, kind of being part of the process to deliver the outputs what the business has. Um, and then I think some of the other areas are intangibles, like how do you develop uh, a vision for your team? How do you organize and delegate the work? How do you communicate the value of information security upward, which is something that comes up? Those are all things that I, I think are super important. So, so you brought up something I thought that was um, also very interesting and I think also very, very to the point, which is, you know, you want to be part of the business, part of the process, the shadowing part, um, what you went through at the honest company, um, just shows me how important it is for everyone to be aligned towards that one common goal. Um, having your security team shadow the people who actually do the work before they write policy is so important. I don't think, I don't think people understand just how critical that is. Because we can write policies all day long, right? You talked about written and interpersonal skills earlier. 
and those are great. But if you don't know how that's going to impact downstream, then your policies are just pieces of paper for 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 some audits at some point to say, see, here it is. Um, it's like laws that aren't enforced or rules that aren't adhered to, right? Um, I want us to move a little bit to talk about security. You brought up, um, and I, I saw your post this morning talking about the financial aspect of, you know, CISOs of understand where the company makes its money and then start to build value for that. Would you mind just expanding a little bit about what you meant by that post? It was very articulate, very well written. You were trying to get some feedback on LinkedIn, but, um, <laughs> you know, I'll, so, go yeah. ahead. The floor is yours. So, like, I am, th this is, this is partially my, my kind of pet learning project. I spent 10 to 15 years learning about technology and cybersecurity. And I'm maybe year three or four into being a student of finance. I'm actually doing a program uh, to do that. So part, part of this is tying the two concepts together, which I don't think, you know, I can't point to like an industry leader that has says, okay, uh, this person has it on lock. Um, so what I shared is in finance, there's this concept of sharp ratio, which is essentially, uh, it's, it's a ratio. So there's a numerator and denominator. The, the, the top part of the equation is essentially what are the returns that you're getting from an investment minus basically um, the risk-free rate, which is essentially like uh, bonds, like a government bond, 10-year bond. Um, and then the denominator is what is the variance the change in, of those returns in an investment. Uh, they have sigma. So what is the change in return? So conceptually, when a finance person is making investment, they want a high ratio that basically means you're going to get a lot of money and there's not going to be a lot of variation to it versus you're going to get a lot of money and it's going to be all over the place. One year, you're going to make $100 million. Next year, you're going to lose $100 million and vice versa. That's not very good. That's a lot of vol volatility in investment. So you want the ratio that is high compared to kind of a similar ratio um, that, that has very little volatility. And my, my point was cybersecurity can help in the denominator, can help with the volatility part, because if there is a breach, then it affects cash flows, which affects volatility. So I gave the Equifax example. Equifax lost over $2 billion in the last four years, which is a huge amount of money. And so that affected their uh, valuation of the business, that affected their cash flows, and it affected their sharp ratio because um, essentially they their investment looked worse compared to others. Um, now I, I will have to say they've made a lot of strides since then. I follow their CISO, um, and he has a lot of you know great work in context. So this is talking about you know pre pre CISO, <laughs> uh, but but in any case, it is it is trying to get our field. This is just one example. Sharp ratio is trying to get our field closer to the people in some way that manage the money and try to explain that the work that we do as cybersecurity professionals is actually trying to achieve the same goal that they're trying to achieve, which is maximizing financial return. So we're not just trying to like burn money and spend money. We are aligned. We want the company to do well. We want cash flow to be high. We want all those things. And our work in reducing risk helps the company by stability of earnings. That was what I was just trying to express in, in that post. No, that's a, you know, I typically talk about where CISOs spend the most time um, in my first question when we talk about security. But seeing that post today, I was like, that's where you spend the most time. 
I figured like I already knew it. So I didn't want to ask you the basic. I wanted us to get right into the sharp ratio because I was reading the post. I Googled what the sharp ratio was because that was the first time I've ever heard of it. Right. And I was all like, this is really, really interesting. And it's kind of something it's, it's a very practical way and it's a great way to communicate it um, to, to, to fellow practitioners, especially in leadership roles. Right. But even if you're a, uh, a, a senior manager or a director, uh, the sharp ratio applies to whatever you're managing within your vertical or within your field of expertise within security. Um, yeah, you want to get I more. Mean, that's the way there's to do. also another line, and basically, you know, people are trying to maximize the value of any 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 person that's the CEO or CFO or whatever. Essentially, their goal is to maximize the value of whatever organization that they're part of, and you know, if you read a lot of the financial literature regarding that, a lot of it is what can you do to maximize, you know, cash flow and all these things. But in the fine print of actually all of these finance books is you can spend money on maximizing cash flows, uh, but also it's worthwhile to reduce risk. It's kind of in the the super fine uh, print of all of these areas. And actually one in, in, in one uh, financial textbook that does give a case of data breaches and so forth. So I think the formal education aligns well. It's just not really the top consideration. I think it's aligned, but we need that kind of... Uh, uh, do you feel like... Let me uh, stop here for a second. Do you feel like we as security practitioners, I'm often very critical at myself, right? So I'm going to speak on behalf of James for just a moment. Sometimes I feel like I want security to be the most important thing for everyone in the organization because sometimes I'm not aligned with everything else that's going on within the organization. Now, security is a priority, but we almost, I feel like whenever I'm talking or whenever I'm speaking to peers, everyone's like, why isn't this the number one priority? And I'm like, well, number one priority is always going to be drive revenue and and shareholder value. You're never going to beat that, right? Security is never going to be number one your best hope is to be in the top five, right? Um, if you're able to get into the top five, irregardless of how you move up that ladder, that's what you just talked about, right? The sharp ratio, the uh, what you talked about earlier. Know how your company makes money. Know if it's making money, if it's losing money. Know its volatility and so yeah. forth, right? So so that's where you rank in the top five. Um, yeah, I I, I hear what you're saying about, you know, why, uh, why doesn't this get more airplay? Like, why am I the only one that's concerned about like this particular topic? And uh, I think there's, there's a lot of reasons to that. I think that um, a, a lot of times, I, I, here's, here's what I, I see from kind of reading the literature about security in general. Nobody really puts a lot of emphasis on security until their company is on like top of fold Wall Street Journal article, and there's a lot of things regarding security, privacy, et cetera. And this is, this is also to say, not the recent ones, you go back to all of the big tech companies when the FTC 10, 20 years ago invested them and gave them consent decrees. And basically the consent decree is you have to do this. Uh, and basically whether it's like, you know, Google or Twitter, or all these things, you can look at FTC and essentially the security program for most of the major tech companies was formed because the government told them they need to do a better job and build an information security program. I mean, you can just 
you know, Google it and, and take a look at it. There wasn't a lot of formation uh, until basically the government said, you're doing a pretty shoddy job at this. We've investigated you, build your program or else we'll come back. Um, and that's the formation of a lot of security programs at, at huge companies. Now, especially technology. Now, the difference is between the financial industries, the financial industry already had a lot of regulators that told them that they had to do this. So the financial industry, for the most part, they've already been on top of it because they've had a regulator overseeing them a long time to and audits a you know, many, many years for to course correct. But the big course correction was for a lot of these technology players that hasn't had a regulator, the US doesn't have like a big technology regulator. The FTC is kind of the closest regulator you get versus Europe that has a lot more specific regulators, um, especially in the data privacy space. Yeah, I, I, I think I'll politely disagree with the aspect of regulation driving security. Although I agree with you with the fact that if it wasn't for a little bit of government intervention and, and a little bit more of investigation that some organization would have not started their um, security program, I think the more oversight the government does, the less focused security gets. Um, it becomes a lawyer thing rather than a practitioner thing. So it becomes, to me, or what, what big companies do most of the time is they hire lawyers to deal with regulatory issues instead of dealing with the underlying aspect of it, right? So, you know. Yeah, yeah it's a... I, I see your perspective and I can see how we can be um, sometimes, you know, cynical of regulations. And the other part of regulations is they're not perfect. They, they lag a lot. Like we have, we might have certain, I was just talking about this with my team. We might have regulations that were for technology 20 years ago, but those regulations are still here and we haven't thrown away because right. nobody's thrown away those, those regulations. So I don't, I don't think, regulation. I mean, generally the, the ways that I see is a lot of industries don't want regulators. So they come up with self-regulation, like the advertising industry, for example, they have a, this big consortium that tries to come up with all these standards to uh, be a little bit faster than the government and say, we, we can self-regulate. Um, and in, uh, in some cases, you know, um, I, I don't always see regulators as, as bad. My comment may be Californian. Uh, my next comment may be very Californian, <laughs> but but a lot of the movement and traction that we've had in certain progress, progress areas, whether it's um, fuel efficiency or uh, you know, uh, clean air or so forth, was because nobody, can, you, nobody except the government can unilaterally make an industry change in some way uh, for the outcome that we want. So um, I might be you know, coming up as a pro-government, which uh, generally I am, but we, that maybe is a separate uh, conversation. No, I, I think I, I, I respect viewpoints because I think that only when we hear others' points of view can we be better informed in the points of view we ourselves make. All right. In, in the world of information, right, and we live kind of in a world of information, we don't need less information. We need more information, right? Even if it's the complete opposite of what we think, because only then can you start to find the balance in your thoughts, in the way you do things. And security is no different. Being a security practitioner, um, we deal with a, a world of information. Our inboxes are filled with all kinds of information, whether it be people trying to sell us something or a report from some organization trying to push some sort of agenda in order to get people to support what they're trying to push. You know, I mean, we deal with it no different than 
than the general public does when it comes to um, all kinds of other issues that we're not going to get into, right? So I think it's critical. I respect the fact that you brought it up. I think you've done so elegantly. You've helped me rethink. And I think when I re-listen to the show and I listen to that part right there, it's going to help me kind of maybe form a better thought process around the role of government within security, right? And I think that's important because we can't form an opinion and stick to it, right? The right. idea of not moving is 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 false to begin with, right? I think that's how you end up being an outdated security practitioner. Yeah. Well, I think a sign of intelligence is if you make the right argument, would you change your point of view? Like if, if there was enough information for any anybody, if I provided you enough information for any topic, are you willing to change your view if I provided sufficient information? If the answer is no, then you're, you're kind of just stuck. You, you, more right. information. You've dug your head in the sand. Decisions. You've dug your head in the sand. You're kind of coming up, yeah. you're hearing stuff, but you're like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't agree with what you're saying. No, 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 no. And, and that, 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 that's not a way to go forward. You know, that's, by the way, when you talk, when we, you know, the first question we, we talked about when looking for skills and hiring people, one of the things I do when I interview a candidate, um, Mike, is I'll challenge them on a thought that they have. Mm. And I want to see how they argue their thought. And will they hold their position? Or are they going to conform to a yes man in order to get the job? Yeah. Right. So kind of like how defending your thesis, right? I never finished mm-hmm. college, but I've always envisioned myself, you know, I, I've re-enrolled to get my BA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look forward to at some point getting my MBA and defending my thesis, right? Cause I feel like that's the essence of cultivating an opinion and defending that opinion irregardless and, and with everyone trying to break it down. Right. So you've got to be really, really well informed of what you're arguing. You can no longer be a headline kind of person. It's it's funny that you say that and that you bring up that example, James, because in, earlier in my career, like three of the companies I worked for, they were mostly Ph.D. people, which exactly have to do that. They have some thesis. They have to defend it. Otherwise, they won't get their Ph.D. And as a, as a young cybersecurity professional, that was tough because I had a lot of ideas. I was just being torn down left and right. But it, it builds you in the right. way that you have to be really, your research has to be spot on. You have to think from a lot of different perspectives and you have to have thick skin when you're booted out of the room <laughs> because you, you, the, the, the quality is not there. You know, I've, I've been in rooms where I've been humiliated, right? Where I've had someone really bring up a point that I couldn't argue against. And sometimes you gotta be like, you know what? You bring up a great point. I obviously haven't covered all my bases on this one. Let me go do some more work and get back to you and don't hold animosity with that person, but rather shoot them an email a few hours later and let them know you want to take them out to lunch and you kind of want to get their school of thought on it and build that relationship because that's really how you create the best promoters within the organization. The people who will stand by you through thick and thin are the people who break you down, who you reach out to and you form that bond through that ad- adversity. It, it's funny, I have an anecdotal uh, anecdote uh, uh, riding on top of your example there. Um, so in, in 2006, um, I, was, I was in graduate school and everybody was doing research papers. So if you're like in a pretty serious graduate school, like the name of the game is churning out interesting research papers, getting top conferences, all that. So anyways, I had this idea and I wrote it up and I submitted it to this platform to get evaluated if it was gonna get accepted to publication for 
semi semi important. Anyways, so I got back all of these comments. Basically, you know, uh, this isn't solid. That's not a good idea. What about this, etc. They just like tore it apart. The one comment was, "This isn't really a research paper, but maybe you could be like an article somewhere." And I was like, "That's great." <laughs> so what, what what I did is I took that research paper and I went and I got it published as an article somewhere in the security press. It was actually. Um, uh, published, it was my very first article in Security Focus, when Security Focus in 2006, you know, was a big thing. Uh -huh. uh, now, not so much because Semantic and EMC and so forth. But at that time, I was like, this is my first publication in this area. And I was elated <laughs> about it. So that, that, what I try to say is like, even when people, people put effort into giving you feedback, and that was really good feedback, because it wasn't a research paper, but it was a really good article. Indeed. Well, we're almost out of time. I want to get to my favorite part of the show. Right, because we're having such a great conversation. But it's time for the CISO Insight Round. You're on the hot seat, Michael. Here we go. I've got my buzzword graveyard. Bury one buzzword in my graveyard. Um, I'm going to go with single pane of glass, which is not a single word. So, so I no, that's your fine, voice. but it's a buzzword. <laughs> Everything in a single pane of glass, everything in a, you know why I don't believe in single pane of glass? Because I've got six monitors staring at me while I'm doing this with you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a nice conceptual term, but I haven't seen any reality come with it in any vendor, in any place I worked in any industry. And so that conceptual promise, I just think is false. That It won't happen because a, technology is changing all the time. A lot of vendors won't integrate. All of these reasons. You're not going to get a single pane of glass. And so I would say kind of we need to maybe retire it because it's not a reality. So marketing managers, you heard it here first. Retire it. What's one technology that will revolutionize the way we practice cybersecurity? I think it's happening already. A lot of um, biometric-related information. So everybody has a smartphone. You know, Microsoft made an announcement last week. They're retiring the password. You can use a lot of different other two-factor mechanisms, including Windows Hello, which is biometric. And so I think there's going to be this, um, you know, tidal wave, maybe tsunami of getting rid of a lot of um, credential-related areas and moving to biometrics. It's not going to be 100%. It's not even going to be close to 100%. But for a lot of consumers... Um, it might working with big companies, it, it'll probably increase security. So I think overall there'll be a big win. As long as it's not cloud-based and device-based like Windows Hello and Apple is, we're good. Any, <laughs> anyone that tries to put biometrics on a, a cloud somewhere, um, I know. Thank you. Um, that's a whole other discussion, by the way. I've done like three podcasts, and then there was one of them where we kind of broke it down all together, and I'll reference that in the show notes for people to go back and listen to it. What's a book you're reading at the moment? I tend to read a lot of business books, and the one I really uh, am enjoying now, maybe halfway through, is uh, Scott Galloway's. It's called The Four, and he does – he's a N, um, uh, NYU Stern professor of uh, management, and he evaluates Amazon, Google – uh, Twitter and Facebook and how they grow, what are their competitive advantages, what can they do, you know, who they should buy. And he really dissects them in such an interesting way and kind of talks about the maturity. And they are the big players. You know, there's a reason we call them fang stocks, uh, <laughs> minus Twitter, I guess. Um, so 
I find it that perspective very interesting and see, you know, how, how he thinks that those organizations are going to mature and change the world. Anything you're streaming? If we turned on your Netflix right now, what are you watching? Uh, what am I? Well, I, I, I'm watching this, um, new series on AMC called, uh, Kin. It's a, it's a mafia mafioso movie. And I'm really into those uh, as uh, elements of drug trade and cash and all those things. Are, you know, give me a good mafia movie and I'll watch it. I think you can't be in security without loving mafia movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> and what's your favorite music, Mike? Uh, I, I I tend to have like uh, more more peaceful music, and so I, I really like uh, postmodern jukebox. Uh -huh. Really great acapella uh, group to have a lot of tracks and. Um, I can jam with it. I love that. That's that's a first, by the way. Um, you actually gave us a bunch of firsts. Single pane of glass. It's only the second time that it's been buried in the buzz and in, in the buzzword graveyard. So um, all very good, great insights, different, and I love it. That's the point of the show. Um, diversity of thought is just so so critical, and learning from others um, is just so important. So, Mike, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know you're really, really busy. It is October. It's National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So we're all trying to figure out ways to, to, to improve our programs. And I'm grateful you took the time to be with us. Um, how can people uh, be uh, in contact with you? What's the best way? Um, I would say on, on LinkedIn, you know, you can follow me. Uh, I have posts there. Uh, if there is a reason to connect, add a note. I hate... I'm going to give you my pet peeve. When you're trying to connect with people on LinkedIn, always add a note. It's there as an optional section, but it's, everybody should use it because what's the reason you want to connect with somebody? <laughs> yeah, it's um, um, although, you know, I have my, my LinkedIn is James J. Azar. And I learned this, I think it was a Chris, um, was it Chris Zell that, that, that said this? I, I forgot who it was, but they said, after your first name, add an initial, just any initial. And if you start to get messages that says, hey, James J, realize they're automated and just decline. Um, so so I do, I decline anyone that comes with a note that has hi, James J, because I realize that's just a bot that's automating the friend request, the connection. That's request. an awesome hack. Um, Nicely done. So, so um, yeah, I do, I, I do like when people add a note, even if you're a vendor, if you just add a note, I'm, 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 I approve nine out of 10 notes unless it's a bot. Right? Like I do the same as you do. Yeah. I, if you add a note, that goes a long way. Folks, that's it for the show. We're about a minute and 30 over, but please make sure to subscribe and tune in. Go check out the Cyber Hub podcast daily, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with the practitioner brief. Until then, Mike, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Please make sure to share. And until next time, have a great rest of your day wherever you're listening. Cheers, folks. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.